Well, as we continue our study in this book of Exodus, and specifically the last of the Ten Commandments, uh, we are exhorted not to covet. Um, as we look around us, we get a glimpse into the culture of our day, and this commandment flies into the face of what many are led to believe. Um, I mean, from the simplest of food commercials that we've seen for years, have it your way, you deserve it. I mean, to every other commercial that's on TV, it's on the radio, you have the right to anything that you could ever want. It's just yours for the taking. Work a little bit harder, work a little bit differently. You can somehow attain to what you deserve. Being content flies in the face of where we live as an American culture. Um, God's Word reminds us to watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. What is God's Word telling us there in Luke chapter 12, verse 15? It's not about what we can get. It's not about uh, going through life and accumulating everything that you're going to possibly accumulate. I can remember the, one of the very first times that I got on a plane and I uh, flew to Texas and the guy that was sitting in front of me had a big shirt on, a big black t-shirt, and with white bold letters that said this, He who dies with the most toys still dies. Is that not true? Is that not the reality that no one can take what we have beyond this life? It doesn't go with us. And it's really a reminder to every one of us that we need to put things into perspective of what we know God would have us to do as far as being stewards of what He has given to us. It's not about getting everything that we can get. Because my life is not characterized by what I, by, by what I have or do not have. Because there's a lot of people, no matter what you get, is going to get a little bit more. Is our whole life going to be characteristic of trying to catch up with someone else? The Joneses, so to speak? We don't have any Joneses here this morning. We're not to try to keep up with the Joneses. God wants us to be content. God wants us to trust in Him for our daily needs. So it's not about wanting everything else that everything else has, or everyone else has. So what does it mean to covet? He tells us very clearly in Exodus 20:17, Do not covet your neighbor's house, nor anything in it. So what does it mean to covet? To desire or crave something. Oftentimes that which belongs to someone else. And Puritan Thomas Watson defined covetousness as an insatiable desire of getting the world. And by the world, he meant a desire to get what the world has to offer. And we need to be very careful about this. I don't know about you, but it's a struggle sometimes. Is it not? To want what we see in our culture because we know that, man, if I work a few more hours, if I save up a little bit more, then I can possibly get this thing. But what happens after we get it? The newness wears off. The, the, the niceness of it kind of settles down in our minds and it becomes just a thing in time. And we have to wonder sometimes, is that thing really what God wants us to have? Is that really where God wants us to steward our funds? Because they all belong to Him. An insatiable desire of getting the world. And 1 John chapter 2 reminds us what this world is. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he goes on to tell us at the end of verse 17, I believe, he says that all that is in this world is going to what? Pass away. In other words, you can't take it with you. And I have to be honest. There are times in my mind that I can say, man, and 
I'll get on my little hobby horse just for a moment. I love trucks. I know you don't know that, but I love trucks. I was looking on Google Images the other day, F650s, X, or F750 Fords. They have made some of these monster trucks look like overgrown pickups. And when you're an overgrown man, an overgrown pickup looks really appealing. And I'm looking at this thing and saying, wouldn't this be awesome? And then I think, well, I wouldn't be able to pass a gas station as I'm going down the road. But it would be cool. But then there's a reality side of this whole process. What do I need? You know, in my 20s, as I've said many times by illustration, I used to sit there and detail, get the Q-tips out and wipe out the vents and everything else and make sure that car was spotless. I used to think, man, i got a little rust spot. Get the sandpaper out, get a little bit of primer, touch it up, you know, try to make it so nobody can tell it's there. And then you move to a state that enjoys salt. There is no catching up with the rust rot. It's gone. But you know what? It's okay. It really is. Because my life is not defined by what I drive. My life is not defined by my house's size. My life is not defined by how much money is in my account, according to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. But coveting means to have an insatiable desire of getting the world and what it has to offer. And coveting is not something new. We see a picture of someone wanting something that someone else had back in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. In fact, just for a moment, turn to Isaiah chapter 14, if you would. It's probably a very familiar passage to many of you here this morning. But in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, it says this. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And here you have Lucifer saying, I will, I will, I will. And oftentimes we catch ourselves saying, I'll get that. And I'll do this. And I'll go there. We need to be careful of what we long for and what we seek to have. And it didn't stop there. Satan pushed covetousness since his time in the garden. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when Eve saw the fruit and had to have it. And the world has been practicing covetousness ever since. It's kind of a, a high. Um, maybe you've watched that show on TLC every once in a while. You see the commercials for it. It makes you want to, you know, breathe in deep and you know, walk away. Hoarders. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There are two groups in my mind of hoarders. There are those who just have garbage and trash piled up everywhere. And it's just empty milk jug thrown in the corner. Empty can of pop, just throw it in the corner. There's that side. And then there's the other side that just buys and buys and buys and buys. And they're compulsive buyers. Don't need it, but it was a good deal. I know a lot of people like that. We had a lady in our church in Indiana who, you know, had to go to the store. My stock room is full. But man, they were three for a dollar. I had to have them. Yeah, but you got 27 there. Yeah, but there's a good price. How much is enough? When will we reach that point where enough is enough? 
where I have what I need, not everything I want. And there is a difference. Because remember, everything we own or everything we have is a gift from God, right? And He's allowed us to be stewards of those things. How are we using the funds that God has entrusted to us? How are we using the possessions that God has entrusted to us? How are we using all these things for God's glory? Or is it that we're still looking to attain more? Covetousness is what causes that tiny feeling of jealousy and disappointment whenever someone else gets something that we have wanted. Puritan, once again, I'll get that in a minute. We experience it when someone we know or are close to gets a job promotion that we wanted. Uh, A new car that we wanted. Or a, a new computer that we wanted. Someone else is always getting something that we want and we get that little hint of jealousy. And in our minds sometimes even, man, I wonder how they did that. It's none of our business. Because God's Word makes it very clear we are to weep with those that weep and what? Rejoice with those that rejoice. And if God blesses someone, bless them. Be rejoiceful with them. I love it when God gives somebody in our church a new car. I'm excited for them. I love it when God allows people to buy a home. Man, Stephanie, I'm excited for you. That's awesome. That's, it's exciting. When, when God blesses our people, we should rejoice with them. When Penny goes out to the garden, she sees all that stuff growing, I'm like, yeah, go! I'm excited for that. So we're to rejoice with those that rejoice. Don't get critical. Don't get upset. Don't get jealous. Rejoice. That's what God has for us to do. Not covet. Don't wish you had what they have. Rejoice with them. Notice what God's Word says in James chapter 4. If you would turn there just for a moment. First couple of verses here says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desires. You know, as you look at this passage, there's wisdom here in both the why we covet and the solution in overcoming covetousness. He says, what is the source of the wars and fights within us? He says, aren't they among the cravings that are at war within you? Our cravings? Something so simple as desire? Something so simple as we want more and more and more? And we're trying to satisfy those hungers? He says, you desire and you do not have, but he comes down to the end of verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desires. He says, why do you want what you want? Why do you crave? Why are these wars going on within you? Why is that there? We need to check our motives. Is it that we're coveting to have more? Or is are we learning to be content and satisfied with what God has given us? God's Word severely admonishes covetousness. In Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Verses 21 and 22. It says, For from within 
Out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries. Here it is. Greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. If these are the things that characterize who we are, it will take us down a wrong path. It will defile us. And he says right there in the passage, these are the things that come from within. And God's Word says, so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If all I can think about is covetousness, well, well what am I? I'm, I'm a covetous person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, another list very similar. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. That's the person that, whose life is defined by these things. And some of you, what's the next word? Used to be like this. But you, past tense, were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's he saying? These things don't have to characterize your life. Some of you, letting God in your lives and turning your life over to Him, He changes us in who we are. And then another passage in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 5 it says this, Let no one... I'm sorry, verse 5. For know, for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral uh, or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah of God. What's he saying? These things that... If this is what characterizes your life... Heaven's not your home. Christ is not your Savior. We need to be careful what we long for and what characterizes us. Once again, Puritan Thomas Watson also said, Speaking of covetousness, as a ferryman takes in so many passengers to increase his fares that he sinks his boat, so a covetous man takes in so much gold to increase his estate that he drowns himself in perdition. Isn't that amazing thought? The ferryman, I mean, the more, he can, more people he can get on that boat, the more fare he can charge, the more money he'll make. And man, he puts so many people on there that he just sinks it. So is a greedy person who wants more and more and more leads to perdition. Remember the example of Achan in chapter 7, verse 21? But you know, before Achan stole, before he went and took that thing that he took, those things he coveted. It starts, in the, it starts in our minds. In Achan, he desired and then he took. See, the heart is the heart of the matter. What's in our heart? In the first nine commandments, the law declares things we are not to do. But you notice the laws are external, on the outside, if you will. But when we come to this commandment, it deals with the heart or what's inside. And many of them have that uh, spot where they also deals with our heart, but this one specifically. What is the secret of being content? First Timothy chapter six, verse six. If you would turn there. Verse six he says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is the secret? Trusting God for what you need. Rather than focusing on what you don't have. Trusting God for what you need rather than focusing on what you don't have. It's really easy to see what we don't have, isn't it? Um, drive down a lake, you see all the nice boats. You see all the speedboats, the pont. In fact, I thought my dad was crazy when I was a teenager. Maybe you thought your dad was crazy when you were a teenager too, but my dad was really crazy. I can remember my dad when I was a teenager saying, yeah, I really like to have a pontoon boat. And I remember thinking to myself, pontoon boats? These are old geezer boats. <laughs> Speed boats! <laughs> and yes, there was a day I did water ski. You know, if I had to have my choice of any boat under the sun, pontoon boat. Just float down the lake, put a little grill on it, kind of cook out, just kind of enjoy the water, yell about the speedboats that are coming by, making waves. You know? It's amazing. All these things. It's easy to want. Isn't it? It's really easy to want what someone else has. But it's a little more difficult to say, God, I'm thankful for what you've given to me. And I find it's something that is a little bit easier. The older I get, the little bit more easier it becomes to be satisfied. But man, in the younger years, it was difficult. Philip Graham Riken wrote this comment on on this subject, he said, contentment means wanting what God wants for us rather than what we want for ourselves. Wouldn't it be awesome to get to that point where we truly, with all of our heart, we want what God wants for us. And this is we need to learn to be satisfied in what God provides for us. Is having things wrong? No. If God has blessed you, absolutely enjoy it. Thank God for it. It's not wrong to have possessions. It's wrong for possessions to have you. It's wrong when they control you. And they dictate what you do. We have friends in Indiana, many friends in Indiana, who had two homes, three homes, boats on every one of them. But it was the very reason why they could never come to church. Because every weekend they had to be out on the lake. And every weekend they had to go snowmobiling in the winter months. And every weekend they had to go somewhere else that was more important than spending time with God and His, and His people. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's wrong for stuff to have you. It's wrong for us to want everything else that everyone else has. God says that's covetousness. That shouldn't characterize us as believers. Contentment should. couple more verses here I want to highlight this morning. The first part of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Your life should be free from the love of money. It says, He satisfies with what we have for what He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The love of money should not be what characterizes us. What did the psalmist say in Psalm chapter 73? In verse 25. 
Verse 25 says this, Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. The psalmist says, I desire God more. Of everything I could desire, I want God more. That should be us as believers. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And how does he do this? I can do all these things through Christ, who strengthens me. In the flesh, you can make all the decisions you want. God, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be content. But if God is not in your life controlling you and directing you through the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle. And then what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? What was his admonition to us? Very familiar passage. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. What should be the primary focus of us, of our lives in Christ? To seek Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I don't know about you, but it's easy to struggle in this area. Anybody have a car that never breaks down? Brian, you don't count because you're a mechanic. <laughs> That's right. There was one sitting in the church parking lot for a few days. That's right. No. no. But wouldn't it be wonderful to have a car that never breaks down? See, if you had a car that never broke down and the tires never wore out and the engines never get, you know, got weaker, you wouldn't want another one. But the reality is, boy, that's a nice car over there. Or a roof that never leaks, never needs replaced. It would be really easy not to desire someone else's house. Or health. I mean, health is perfect. I mean, the shoulders never wear out. I mean, the knees never give up. I mean, you know, every, I mean, the heart stays strong for 102 years. If you didn't have the problems, it would be really easy not to want what everyone else has. But the reality is we live in a broken world, don't we? And because we live in a broken world where things don't last forever, it's really a struggle to not want what everyone else has. So what's the secret? To learn to want what God wants for us. You know, there's this really interesting concept of driving. When you first begin to drive, you have to learn what all the signs mean. And I'm convinced some people have been driving for 30 years and still don't know what the signs mean. You're going this way. The highway's going this way. And then there's an on-ramp. And there's a little sign called yield. Isn't it a foreign concept for a lot of people? They haven't understood the word yield yet. You see, the word yield means speed up and get in front of the other guy and push him over a little bit. No. I find it amazing that I'm going down 390 and someone's joining in and I can't move over, but they're bound to determine they're going to get in front of me some way or another. And it's like they almost cause an accident for you. You know, let me excuse me, let me get out of your way. I know driving is one of my pet peeves. But the whole idea of yield is there is a direction that, that someone is going, and I yield to them and I join in. 
For the child of God, God is going this way and we're yielding to what He's doing. We're not asking God to get out of the way to do what we're wanting to do. And it's amazing in James, it talks about submitting ourselves to Him. That means we're following what God's doing. We want what God wants for ourselves, for our lives. We're not saying, God, uh, um, I'm doing this. I don't know if you're in on it or not, but you know, this is what I'm doing. God, where are you at work? And let me join in with you. That's yielding. That's submitting. It's learning to say, God, I want for my life what you want for my life. Not all these other things that distract from doing what God wants us to do. And let me just say this, as I've said from the beginning. These are ten commandments found in the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament law. But it's amazing how all these things are reiterated in the New Testament as a way to live, to please Christ. No, we're not under the law, but it teaches us just how difficult it is. You cannot save yourself by your works. Galatians makes that very clear. Ephesians 2 talks about that. For by grace you save your faith, and that not of yourselves. It helps us to understand that we are not perfect people living in this broken world. We are people who utterly need Jesus Christ to help us. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. God's Word makes that clear. You want to live a life of contentment that is free from covetousness? It means totally submersing yourself into what God has for you. Submitting yourself to Him. And the only way by, to do that is to daily surrender your life to His. That's not easy. It's a decision that I find myself having to make all the time. I'll make this decision, God, I, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, I want to, I want to walk in obedience and holiness, but then all of a sudden my selfishness gets in the way. Anybody else contest? I'm selfish. And if you don't think you are, yeah, you are. Ask your wife or your spouse. You are. We all are. But it's a daily surrendering and coming back to that place where you say, God, I do want you on the throne. And not to have covetousness. And these other areas that we've talked about these last several weeks characterize our life. Because if covetousness, along with these other things, still are what characterizes our life, we have to question whether or not we truly belong to God. Because a child of God has crucified the old man and put to death the old man and is now walking in newness of life as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. What characterizes our life? Is our life characterized by contentment or covetousness? Contentment means we're trusting the Lord and we're walking with Him. Covetousness means we've got some work to do. We may need to surrender our lives all over again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it still teaches us and reminds us how we ought to live in you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts once again this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning as we do each week. I don't know what characterizes your life, but you say, Pastor, if if I'm honest with myself, If I'm honest before God, there's just a lot of covetousness in my life. Something I need to learn to deal with. Something that I need to surrender to God. It's a struggle, but Pastor, would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes, in the side and in the front. Yes. It's a very real struggle. But it shouldn't characterize who we are as believers. It's something we need to surrender to God and learn to live in contentment. Because we are stewards of what God's given us. He didn't, say us, he didn't tell us to see what everyone else has and then go for it. 
He says, be content with such things as we have. You say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, I struggle with covetousness. Would you pray for me? Anyone else? Can I challenge those of you who raised your hand, your heart towards God, just take a moment right here where you're at and just surrender that to the Lord, fresh and anew. Just take a moment and say, God, forgive me for being covetous. Help me to be content. Help me to be satisfied with what you've given to me. Help me to prioritize my desires. Help me to be a good steward of what you've given to me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just once again, just thank you for how you work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. I know it's a very real struggle. And this world makes us believe that there's so much out there that we need and just got to have. You know, there are so many commercials and billboards and radio commercials, Lord, that just impress upon us the need to have more. But God, I pray that you'd help us to filter those desires through you. And being content, being satisfied, and being good stewards of what you've allowed us to have as our finances and what we save, what we give, what we do with it. Pray God, you help us to walk in victory in this area. For each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, might they see your hand at work in their lives. We give you the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.